to see you, church family, this third Sunday of 2023, 2023. We're excited. I did see a few snowflakes yesterday morning, and, uh, you know, that brings out the inner child in all of us. There's something about it, uh, seeing a little bit of snow uh, coming down, and uh, I'm looking forward. I, I love a good snow. Those of you that are from the north or the northeast, uh, and if you don't like snow, so that's why we move south. We don't want to have any more of that stuff, but we like to see it. And the good thing about it in North Carolina, it usually comes, uh, if, it, if it snows, it's usually gone in about 24 to 48 hours, unless we get 20 inches, and then you know, we might be shut down for a whole entire month. But who knows? We're looking forward to this winter, and uh, thank you for being in the house of God this morning. Take your Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 11, Mark chapter 11. So one of the things when you're planning through sermon series and you're scheduling out, you have to leave room for the Holy Spirit because sometimes he may have you park for a while and, uh, and it might hang out a little bit longer than what you planned. And so as your pastor was planning back in the fall and kind of where we would land before Christmas and starting a Christmas series and all of that, I was talking to Matt and uh, Jackson, our uh, worship and student pastors, and I was like, we're getting up to the triumphal entry of Jesus, but I don't think we should do that right before he's born in, uh, in December. So we probably ought to kind of hang out for a little bit longer. And uh, so this morning we're looking at the triumphal entry of Jesus. So if you were just here at Christmas, a lot's taking place in two weeks, all right? So uh, Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. Uh, we'll shortly be going to the cross and uh, I want you to listen and, and soak in really what I believe God is speaking to our hearts this morning because there's so much in this text today that sometimes we can almost overlook as we're jumping into the Easter season and we're looking at what Christ is doing when he's coming and is going to ultimately die on the cross for our sin. I believe there's something here for all of us as followers of Jesus and if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, can I say the greatest single decision you can make in your life is the decision this morning to trust Jesus completely. To accept what he did on the cross of Calvary. And our prayer, our desire, our hope is today you leave and you know him and you have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's great to see so many of you. Uh, many families with brand new babies in church this morning. And we're glad to see each one of you in worship this morning. And uh, looking forward to diving into the Word of God. In our text this morning, Jesus is making his way into Jerusalem. It's Passover. It's the triumphal entry of Jesus. And Passover was about to begin. And so a lot is happening in Jerusalem. The city is all abuzz with people. And it was Israel's greatest feast brought by, uh, would bring spiritual pilgrims to Jerusalem. And uh, some historians tell us that the population would swell from somewhere in the neighborhood of 40,000 to 250,000 people during this week. And it was a, a major uh, time for the Jewish people as they would celebrate Passover. <coughs> it was during Passover, <clears throat> God's people rehearsed their deliverance from uh, a foreign power, which when they were in Egyptian bondage, with the expectation that God would again deliver them again from, from, the, from Rome. This yearly reminder helped the Israelites never forget what it was that the blood of the Lamb provided for their deliverance. Folks, you and I should never get over what Jesus did when he saved us. When his blood was applied to our lives, folks, 
may we never forget that. May we never get so comfortable in, in church life. And you know what? We just we go through the motions. We go to church on Sunday. We, we go to work on Monday. We, we're going through a routine. And may we never lose sight of what Jesus Christ accomplished for our sin. Pilate and his troops arrived every Passover. He didn't like living in Jerusalem, so he chilled out in a, in a seaport town on the Mediterranean. But whenever it was time for Passover, he would parade his soldiers through the streets. It was a military parade, and he it would send a message that no insurrection would be tolerated. It's fair to say the situation was filled with holy anticipation and high anxiety. And folks, if that doesn't describe the, the, uh, the world that we're living in today, anxiety, people are, are stressed, they're uncertain, they're, they're anticipating what's going to happen next, and we, we've just come through a, a pandemic, are we facing a, a, a recession or a depression, what are we facing as a country, what are we facing as far as wars and over in Ukraine and Russia, what is the, our nation up against, and, and folks, you can only imagine what's happening in this time when Jesus is making his entry into, into Jerusalem, we must, as, as followers of Jesus, we must trust the sovereignty of the Savior. We must trust the sovereignty of the Savior and believe this morning that he is in control of every situation and circumstance. The word sovereignty is often used, but folks, it's often little understood because when we say that the Savior is sovereign, we're saying that he has the absolute right and might to do all things according to his own good pleasure. Everything's under his rule. Everything's under his control. And folks, nothing happens without his direction or permission. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that God is sovereign? Do you believe that he's in control of all of life's circumstances when it seems like every circumstance is out of control and let's pick up the story in mark chapter 11 verse 1 it says when they when they drew near to jerusalem to bethphage and bethany at the mount of olives jesus jesus sent two of his disciples it was no accident that jesus arrived at the uh, at the uh to uh jerusalem at the beginning of passover and bethphage and and bethany were were two villages outside of jerusalem Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived in Bethany, and Jesus would often stay there as he would be passing through, and as he would be making his way uh, around, in and around Jerusalem, he would stay there, and especially in the latter days before he uh, went to the cross. The Mount of Olives, you'll see a picture on the screen that has tremendous significance in the life of, of the Jewish people, and, and really as a place, uh, I remember standing there looking and gazing over the city of Jerusalem just a couple years ago and, and just imagining what Jesus saw as he, as he saw the, the city of Jerusalem and, and he, he wept over the people of Jerusalem. He wept over the Jewish people who would reject him over and over and the Mount of Olives had tremendous, tremendous significance. It was where Jesus gave the Olivet Discourse. It was where he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane and I, I'm telling you one of the greatest places on that tour was going to the Garden of Gethsemane and just Spending time in prayer and imagining the agony that Jesus faced as he prayed there and his, his, his disciples would sleep and, and sleep through the whole process. It's where he would gather after the, the resurrection and where he ascended from to heaven from this very spot. And 
Jesus will land on this very mountain at his second coming. According to Zechariah chapter 14, he said, On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. The Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that only half of the mount shall move northward, and the other word will move half southward. As Jesus is gathering, you can imagine as he's getting ready to enter the city of Jerusalem, what's going through his mind? It's from this significant spot, Jesus sent out two of his disciples. And, and he's, he's, you're imagining what he's getting ready to see take place in the city of Jerusalem. Verse 2, he says, go into the city in front of you immediately as you enter. You'll find a colt tied in, in front of you. As you enter, you'll find it. He says, which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. Think about the sovereignty of the Savior this morning and how everything is planned out in his divine providence. What village are you going to go to? The one that's right here in front of us. Where, you know, where do we go once, once we get there? Immediately as you enter it, you're going to enter into the city of Jerusalem. What do we look for? You're going to find a colt. What's the colt going to be doing? He's tied up. What kind of colt? One that no one has ever said. What are you going to do? You're going to untie it and bring it. Well, what about when they, the owner asks what you're doing? He says, the Lord has need of it. He had every single detail mapped out according to his plan and purpose. Imagine, church, that when disciples were directed by trusting in the sovereignty of the Savior, every single thing happened according to God's plan. Look at verse 4. When they, they went away, they found a colt tied at a door outside of the street. They untied it. Some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. Jesus mapped out every single de detail of what would take place as he enters the city of Jerusalem. He gives an assignment. Folks, just imagine this morning. It should help us to understand when God is working in our lives, when God is directing your path, directing your step, when his word is a light into our path, it's guiding us. Do you realize he understands every detail that you're going to face this afternoon? He understands every detail of your Monday tomorrow before Monday happens. He understands everything you're going to face next week, next month, next year. And folks, what happens is it's, it's overwhelming because God has every, he's orchestrated every single fiber of our lives, every detail of our lives. It should help us understand there are no surprises with God. He knew all about the cult, where it would be tied up, what the owners would say, how they would respond. What a staggering display of God's omniscience, his sovereignty, his providence. And folks, when the disciples were sent to get a cult, Jesus was putting into place a very specific prophecy about who he was. In Zechariah 9.9, the word of God says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humbled and mounted on a donkey. 
God was fulfilling prophecy as Jesus was, was sending these two disciples out. He was fulfilling Bible prophecy. Remember that many were hoping the Messiah would come in on a great white horse and overthrow the Roman government. They longed for a warrior king uh, like they had experienced with King David a thousand years earlier when he destroyed the Philistines. You can imagine the confusion of their minds when they heard their Messiah ask for a young baby donkey. Remember his humble birth? In a manger stall in a town of Bethlehem. It was so unlike the Jewish people. They were like, this is not how a king arrives. This is not the pomp and circumstance. This is not the grandeur of a, of a king leaving heaven and coming to earth. But folks, that's how Jesus made his entrance. Maybe baptism for you is your next step because you're saying, I understand Jesus died on the cross. I need to be baptized. Maybe for you, your next step of faith is saying, I'm going to trust God. And I'm going to place my membership and, and begin to serve God in a local church. Maybe for you today, you've been listening. You've been listening. You've been watching. And for you, your next step is salvation this morning. And you say, I need to place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. You see what happened is these disciples took that next step as they left and they went and retrieved this donkey that Jesus would ride into the city of Jerusalem. Whatever God tells you this morning, he has every detail planned out. When life doesn't go according to our plan, God's still sovereign. When, when it seems like there's a U-turn or a detour, God's still sovereign. When it seems like all hell is broken loose in our world, God is still sovereign. And he's still in complete control. And in an article entitled, The God of My Future Problems, the author begins by defining God's prevenient grace, which literally means the grace that goes before. He says, in every situation of life, God is already at work. Before I get there, he's working creatively, strategically, redemptively for my good and his glory in order to accomplish his purposes in my life. When I'm struggling with the problems of today, God is at work providing solutions for things I'm going to face tomorrow. He's working in situations right now that I haven't faced yet. He's preparing them for me and me for them. Or to say it another way, while I'm living in Sunday, he's already in Tuesday. Are you worried about next week? He's already there. What about next month? February's no mystery to God. What about next year, or this summer, or this fall? What am I going to do when I have to pay that bill? Or what am I going to do whenever, and you fill in the blank. God is already there, folks. He knows exactly what tomorrow holds because he holds it in the palm of his hand. We can trust completely in God when we can't understand the path forward in front of our face today. We can trust and take a step of faith and say, God, I'm going to trust you even when I don't understand. God, I'm going to trust you when I can't see the next step or the next month or the next year in front of me. Folks, you know what happened? If God showed us all of that today, we'd all have a heart attack and die. 
let's be real. The most healthy person on the planet would have a heart attack and die if we saw what was going to happen next month, next year, and the next 10 years. Uh, God is my witness. We couldn't handle it. But God gives us a dashboard view. He allows us to see what's in front of us, and it allows us to trust Him. And folks, where faith comes in is, I can go back and see where He provided yesterday, last week, last month. I can see where He provided last year of my life, and I can trust Him for tomorrow. I can trust Him for the next day. And folks, what happens is He gives me the grace for each day as we're going through that day. So as I'm living in Sunday, he's in, he's in Tuesday. He's in Friday of next week. Folks, it would be enough if God simply walked with us through the events of life. But folks, he does so much more than that. He goes ahead of us, clearing the way, arranging the details of life so that when we get there, we can have the confidence that God has already prepared us for that very moment. He's sovereign. Knowing that God holds us in his hands, provides us comfort today. And Are you trusting this morning in the Savior's sovereignty today? Don't worry, though. He's not just hanging out ahead of us. He's not a carrot that's constantly being dangled in front of us. Folks, he's with us. In fact, he goes with us through the storms of life. He goes with us through the trials. Isaiah 43, verse 2, when you pass through the waters... What does he say, church? I will be what? With you. And through the waters, they shall not what, church? Overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be what? Burned. And the flames shall not what, church? I feel like a teacher up here with a, a, a dry erase board. I mean, the reality is when you pass through the waters, he says, I gotcha. When you pass through the, the, the deep storms of life, through the fire, the flame will not consume you. What is my, my mind, my ADHD mind goes all the way back to the, the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. And, and they refuse to bow to the false gods. And, and folks, uh, there's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are standing there in the fire. And they look in and they said, what do you see? Well, it's not just three. I see four. And the, the fourth one is likeness of the Son of God, folks. I love the fact Jesus Christ is with us every single step of the way. What an encouragement today God is with us. Then secondly, we see give what's been given to you. In verse 7, it says, they brought the colt to Jesus. These are the two disciples. And threw their cloaks on it. He sat on it. Many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches that they had come from the fields. There were at least three gifts that were given that day as Jesus is beginning his entry into the city of Jerusalem. We see the colt. Matthew tells us the colt was with its mother, and the disciples were told to bring both of them with them, perhaps, so that the young baby uh, donkey isn't scared or, or isn't frightened. But the owners didn't question the disciples as they told them what the colt was for Christ. Maybe. They had heard of Jesus. Maybe they had heard that Jesus was healing the sick and the lame and, and the blind. And maybe they had met Lazarus who had been brought forth from the grave. They gladly gave him what rightfully belonged to him anyway. My guess is they felt joy of being able to give something back to Jesus. That's the key in giving. If we understand it. 
every single thing we already have belongs from God. It's just ours alone. He's blessed us. He's gifted us. So the least we could do is give back to God. And folks, Jesus was born in a borrowed manger. He taught from a borrowed boat. He borrowed the upper room for that last supper with his disciples. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. And here we see he's borrowing a donkey. <laughs> he had nothing to his name, but yet he owned everything. Isn't that what it is to know God is? Folks, give what he's blessed us with. Give what's been given to us. You know, what do you have that you can give back to God? I love the fact that God will use any of us if we'll just say, here am I. I'm your servant. God, if you can use me, if you can use whatever gifts or talents or abilities that you've given, whatever money you've entrusted to my care, if you'll use it, it's yours. Everything he had was borrowed. But folks... If he wants something this morning, it already belongs to him. Then we see not only the colt, we see the cloaks. Their, their, their jackets, they take off and they laid them over the, the back of this young donkey. They laid them across the, the, the roadway as he's getting ready to make his entry into Jerusalem. And they willingly took off their outer garments to make that saddle and placed it on the road. And the laying of cloaks on the road was like rolling out the red carpet for a celebrity, for, for a king. In 2 Kings 9, 13, people spread cloaks under King Jehu as he walked the bare stairs, demonstrating they recognized or received him as king. But folks, there's more to it than that. It was deeply symbolic, an act that represented their submission and their surrender. They're laying down themselves under his feet. It was symbolic of laying down their lives to the one who would ultimately lay down his life in a few days on the cross. And then we see, thirdly, palm branches were waved. John chapter 12, verse 13 tells us they used palm branches. And when they had brought with them to Jericho, folks, these leafy branches, as, as, uh, as Mark describes, uh, were, were laid down on the street. They were waving them as he was entering into the city. It was a common welcome of a victorious king who was returning from battle. In Judaism, palms represented a peace and plenty. It was, in parts of their religion, it was revolutionary and it had nationalistic overtones. It was, it was a beautiful picture as Jesus is entering the city of Jerusalem. Palm branches were a symbol of joy and victory. And, and it was placed on graves as signs of eternal life. And since palm trees grew out, of, uh, out in the desert near water, they were indicating life-giving activity was near. By laying palm branches on the road, they were signifying that Jesus was the victorious king who gives eternal life to those who are wandering in the deserts of life. The gift of the cult, the cloaks, the palm branches all point to who Jesus truly is. The cult was expensive. The cloaks were essential. The branches were an expression of joy. And friend, that's what happens when we experience a relationship with Jesus. We can't wait to give back. 
We can't wait to give what he's blessed us with and in return for all that he's blessed us with in salvation. And we trust the sovereignty of the Savior. We give what's been given to us. And then lastly, we see we worship with all that we have. You see, in, in verse 9, it says, Those who went before him, those who followed, were shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The word Hosanna means save now. It's actually a quotation from Psalm 118, verse 25, that says, Save us, we pray, O Lord. Psalm 118 is known as a salvation psalm. And so, it's, it's Jesus is is speaking here as the people are, as he is entering into the city of Jerusalem, and they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The people are understanding Jesus is the one who saves. Jesus is the one who transforms. Verse 26 of, of Psalm 118, he says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is God in the flesh. He's entering into the city of Jerusalem. He's the one who comes to save. In verse 10 of our text, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. The word highest ultimately refers to the most elevated, the loftiest. Psalm 71 verse 19 says, your righteous, O God, reaches the high heavens. You have done great things, O God. Who is like you? It's, it's similar to what we looked at in Luke 2. Verse 14 on Christmas Eve where it says, glory to God in the highest. His name is exalted. His name is lifted up on high. And days before the Passover, the Jewish families would choose a lamb for a sacrifice. It's hard as Americans to wrap our mind around this. We don't know what that's like to have to go and offer a blood sacrifice. But I'm telling you, that, that I was reading about that this week and they were saying that Jewish people would bring that spotless lamb into their house for a week, and it was like a pet. I don't know. I'm, I'm just thinking, we've got three dogs at our house, and once they have a name, I mean, you can, my wife was saying the other day, she said, you know, we, uh, growing up, she said, we lived on a farm, and we had a cow, and she said, we named that cow, and then all of a sudden, we realized that that cow was sitting on our kitchen table, and we were eating that cow uh, for dinner, and she said, you know, I was, I was so mad at my granddad, like, how could you do this? And I was like, once you name it, you know, you just can't do it. But that was part of the Jewish custom, that last week, they would get the, they would pick out the spotless lamb, they would bring it into their home like a pet, and they would take care of it, but on Friday evening, it would be slaughtered as a substitutionary sacrifice for the sins of the entire family. Think about it, at the very time Jesus, the Lamb of God, is heading into Jerusalem. People are choosing their Passover lamb. And while he's being crucified, the sound of those lambs can be heard as their sacrifice in the temple. Say, so, Pastor, what's the application? Passover remind us, reminds us that only those who the blood of the sacrifice has been applied to their lives receive forgiveness of sin. Those are the only ones who have passed over when the angel of death arrived. If the blood of Jesus, folks, has not been applied to your life this morning, you're going to be in huge trouble one day. Because the word of God says we will stand before God. One day every knee will bow. One day every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
Folks, do you know Jesus is your Savior? Has his blood been applied to your life? If not, let me encourage you, repent and receive what Jesus did. Have your sins forgiven. Because to reject him, judgment, we will spend all of eternity in a place called hell. There's one more thing, though. Verse 11, it says he entered Jerusalem. He went into the temple. As he looked around at everything, it was already late. He went out to Bethany with the twelve. Jesus, his heart was torn because, if you remember, they had turned the temple into a den of thieves. Jesus was furious as he saw what had become of a place of worship. Instead of it being a holy place, a place where people came to worship the Lord and, and give offerings and gifts and sacrifices back to the Lord, they had desecrated it, they had destroyed it. And sometimes, church, I wonder what is what would happen this morning if Jesus were to walk into this church or into the, the church in America today, would he see a heart of compassion, a heart of love? Would he see a church that's desperately in need of a, a touch from God? Would he see a church that is lifting their hands in worship of a creator who sent his son to die on the cross and offer us eternal life? Would he see a church that loves the lost, that loves the, the nations and desires to see them come to faith in Jesus. Jesus saw the beauty of the buildings, but he saw that their religion had become ritualistic. They were more worried about the do's and don'ts of the law than they were about worshiping and exalting, lifting high the name of Jesus. But folks, one day, he's going to come again. When he comes that second time, no one's going to miss him, church. No one's going to miss him. In fact, when he came into the temple there, they didn't recognize him. But when he comes again, no one's going to miss him. In fact, in Revelation chapter 19, it says in verse 11, I saw the heaven open, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire on his head. Are many diadems. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. And he's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And in the name uh, by which he is called is the Word of God. The armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword to which to strike down the nations. He'll rule them. With the rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh is a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I wonder this morning, are you ready for when Jesus comes the second time? Our, our series at Christmas is Hope Has Come, but... He's also coming again. Jesus is coming. Again, I wonder if we're ready to meet him if he were to come back today. It's time to, for each one of us to take our next step in that growth process of preparing for Christ's return. I wonder if 
when Jesus returns, will he find the church playing? Will he find us preoccupied with things that don't matter? Or will he find the church praying and preaching the gospel to a world that's desperately Spirit, would you speak to our hearts this morning?